Welcome back, ladies, to the final part of our series, Healthy Holy Beauty. This is part five, and we had begun to dive into our ninth and final layer of discussion last week. You might find today's episode to be heavy, difficult, challenging, but I hope, Lord, I really hope that for all of that, it will prove to be useful and helpful to you as you continue to seek and sincerely pursue sainthood. If you're just jumping on with us for the first time, I would really beg you not to start here. Please do at least start with part one of this series, Healthy Holy Beauty, because otherwise this last part will just come off as insane. I mean, really, it'll just come off as completely insane. And I wish I had time to recap what we've covered in the previous four parts of the series. But I'll be honest, I don't have time. We have a lot to cover today and I really need to be able to just dive right in and trust that you've done your homework. Okay, so here we go. We had started diving into the topic of modesty. Trigger topic, right? But we laid out at the end of the last episode our rationale for believing that the church is indeed in an excellent position to speak into standards of modesty of dress for women. We also read a long passage from Shanti Feldhahn's For Women Only, giving us a glimpse into the brain science behind why an attractive image has the potential to become an occasion of sin for a man. So let's continue in that vein. Our men are bombarded by temptation in a way that's so very different from us women. Their experience of being bombarded by temptation is almost incomprehensible to us. And again, we really dove into that at the end of last week's episode. If you need a refresher, please revisit that. The culture as it exists today literally foists temptation upon our men. His initial engagement with an attractive image is an involuntary engagement. It is entirely out of his control, which means that it is not a sin initially, but can present, given the context, an occasion of sin. Now, as we know, we are called to fidelity in marriage, which means that every single attractive image presented by any woman other than a man's wife presents for our husband an occasion of sin. However, here we need to begin to distinguish that it is not a sin for a husband to find his wife attractive. I can't believe that I need to say this, but I actually do. Based on conversations with women, you are not available to curb an inherently sinful tendency in men. Your availability to your husband is a gift from God which orders his love towards God because the tendency to be attracted to women is inherently good. It's just that acting on that tendency has proper limits, which is the purpose of marriage. In our very, very first episode on the Will to Wife podcast, we heard from the Catechism of the Catholic Church number 1534, quote, Two other sacraments, holy orders, and matrimony are directed towards the salvation of others if they contribute as well to personal salvation. It is through service to others that they do so." End quote. Sister Lucia of Fatima revealed that the final battle in this world would be over the family. Is this the final battle? I have no idea. But I do know that the nuclear family is under attack today in ways unprecedented. I also know that the saints have always preached 
urgency. The saints have always reminded us that all days and all times are soon to God against the backdrop of eternity. Our marriage vows order our love towards God through our spouse. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 33, which we first heard in episode 3, where we talked about being an accessory to a husband's sin. Quote, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. End quote. Your husband's salvation is so very largely dependent on his fidelity to you. And yet the part which we cannot ignore is that we are given to our husband as helpmeet and we have a responsibility to seek to inspire his fidelity. Yes, he is called to be faithful regardless of our behavior and so are we. I hate it when women say that if he needs a reason to stay, he can go. Ladies want all the time, every day, day in and day out, for their husbands to provide them with a million reasons to keep serving him joyfully. And for too many women, it's never enough. And on top of it, never being enough, too many women turn around and tell their husbands that they don't owe him any effort to give him a reason to stay. It's one of those ugly double standards again. Giving a husband reasons to stay is just another way of saying that you're fighting for your marriage. Giving a husband reasons to stay is synonymous with fighting for your family, and you most certainly have an obligation to do so. What are our weapons in this fight? This fight that we have a responsibility to fight, the fight for our husband's fidelity, the fight for our husband's focus, the fight for our husband's soul, the fight for our family, the fight for God's order in our lives. A husband has free will. We cannot control him. We do not make any claims that you can guarantee his fidelity. However, the lack of guarantee is not permission to abdicate your personal responsibility. What are your weapons in this fight? And I hope to goodness that this comes as a great comfort to you. No, you do not have to look like a porn star. How do we know this? Well, we just covered this last week. We just talked about how a husband's initial engagement with a suggestive image is involuntary. This is a gift to us because it means that we don't have to be a size two, extremely curvy, tall blonde model to get his initial 
attention. That may not sound very helpful to those of you who are very secure in your image, but for those of us who struggle somewhat with combating frumpiness and who have mommy tummies from multiple pregnancies and who cannot take an hour each day styling our hair or who have severe skin conditions that do not take kindly to any type of makeup, this is a gift. It means that no matter what season of life we're in, no matter how old we get, our husband will find us initially attractive. Gonna dive into that initially part, but that initial engagement, it's automatic, involuntary, and not terribly discriminatory. That's a huge gift to us women that in no season of life will it necessarily be more difficult to inspire fidelity in our husband because of our physical appearance, provided that we do remember what we learned earlier in the series about our responsibility to seek to stay healthy given our responsibilities to our family. Okay, so provided that we're not neglecting our health or deliberately sabotaging it, initial engagement in the box, check, no problem. So here's where your hardcore fight begins. His free will kicks in after that initial engagement. And the choice to continue to engage presents itself. So what might push a man to withdraw rather than continue to engage? And the answer, which should come as no surprise to you if you've been following this podcast from the beginning, is twofold. The first should be blatantly obvious, and that is outright rejection. But the second part is disrespect. Disrespect throws cold water over a guy. Right now is about when women start asking, well, what about self-respect? How can a man do something like engage in porn and have self-respect? That's a legitimate question and one we'll treat here shortly. But another legitimate question that I want you to keep in mind if you're going to be asking that question is that How can any self-respecting man stay in a situation where he is made to feel undesired or treated like a dog? Hmm. A man has worth and dignity, both of which are assigned to him by God, not his wife. What if his wife makes him feel worthless on a daily basis? What if she rejects him? on a daily basis. And you'll say, well, a self-respecting man will stay faithful in spite of her behavior, which means that a self-respecting woman will also stay faithful to her husband in spite of his behavior. When we go down rabbit holes regarding someone else's behavior, what it always comes down to is that we answer for our faithfulness or lack of it period, regardless of what someone else is doing. But since you asked, here it is. We have heard repeatedly from John Gray that men need to feel accepted, trusted, and appreciated. These are the pieces of what he translates as respect. If he feels unaccepted, distrusted, or unappreciated, Any of those, and certainly any combination of those, translates to him as disrespect. Which is why in our Discipline of Joy, in episode 10, we introduced a modified serenity prayer. 
quote, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control. The courage to control the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. End quote. When you attempt to control your husband, you are fundamentally rejecting him. When you attempt to control your husband, you are fundamentally rejecting who he is. In episode 14, we introduced the respect examen. And so much of it focused on not criticizing, not offering unsolicited assistance, avoiding manipulative behaviors. But the very last question in that examen, question number 30, was this. Have I denied my husband the marital debt for no good reason? Have I denied my husband the marital debt for no good reason? We're going to tackle this. Here we go. The following is yet another excerpt from Shanti Feldhans for Women Only. Quote, Several experts told me that the chronic feeling of not measuring up is a major reason men fall into pornography addiction. For whatever reason, they feel like less than a man, so they seek and find affirmation in pornography. As one man pointed out, all those women in the men's magazines and porn sites convey one message. I want you, and you are the most desirable man in the world. My wife may be nagging me at home, the kids may be disobedient, and I may be worried about messing up at work. But looking at the woman in that picture makes me feel like a man. End quote. Ladies, this is so important. Notice here that he makes no mention of his wife's appearance. That's not where the difficulty lies. The difficulty is in looking past the emasculation. To ask a husband to repeatedly look past emasculation in his marriage. To remain unflinchingly faithful in the face of constant, consistent emasculation is to ask for literally the most difficult thing, nigh impossible. Now that is not to say that they will always act out in sexual ways. Remember, it's acceptance, trust, and appreciation that they seek. So. If they can get those things at work, for example, or on a sports team, a lot of faithful men will use work or sports as outlets. If they're highly respected at work, if they're climbing the corporate ladder, if they're valued as part of a team, if they feel like their contributions are noted as being significant, and if by contrast at home they are emasculated, then as we've talked about before, here's the situation where he's likely to find ways to spend time away from the home and away from the family. It doesn't mean that he's getting into any sinful shenanigans. It just means that in lieu of acceptance, trust, and appreciation at home, he will look for ways to have those legitimate needs filled elsewhere. And he cannot really be blamed for that. But we've talked about that, and I want to tackle here why the conjugal act, why the marital embrace is so essential for men. Ready for it? I hope you've heard this before, <laughs> because if you didn't hear this in pre someone needs to be called out on it. 
The conjugal act, the marital embrace, is Eucharistic in nature. The conjugal act, the marital embrace, is Eucharistic in nature. Let's unpack that. Christ gives his whole self in the Eucharist. He holds nothing back. He gives his entire self, body, blood, soul, and divinity. In the marital embrace, we are called and have the opportunity to give our entire self. Christ in the Eucharist gives himself over to be consumed. Not merely to be looked over or picked at, but to be consumed. Note that consume and consummate have the same Latin root. The Latin root literally means to use up, eat. You know, mothers, especially biological mothers, and most especially breastfeeding biological mothers, instinctively understand how they image Christ to their children in his words, this is my body given up for you. Mothers have no problem with that image as it pertains to their gift of self to their children. But when you make this connection with regards to the relationship between a husband and wife, that in the marital embrace, this is my body given up for you, all of a sudden you have outrage and the claim that this is somehow objectification of women and thoroughly insulting. I'm sorry, this isn't up to you. If you didn't hear this in marriage preparation, someone needs to be called out. Christ in the Eucharist gives himself over to be consumed completely so that we might be one with him. This is the heart of what is meant by Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, quote, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh, end quote. Understand this, the primary means through which you become one flesh with your spouse is a mirroring of the Eucharist in which we become one with Christ by consuming him. tangent on this, leaving father and mother and clinging to one's wife. I hear women all the time complaining that their husbands are too attached to their mothers or too eager to put their parents and siblings needs over the needs of their wives and children. And wives will quote this verse. What about women though? You too must leave father and mother and cling to your husband. One of the ways in which many of us need to do that is if our mothers and possibly even grandmothers set examples of constant disrespect and ongoing emasculation. You must leave that behind. You must leave that behind and cleave to your husband. You must leave those women behind. You take Mama Mary as your mother. You sit at the feet of the saints. You commit to letting go of the spirit of the fallen Eve which infected your mother and your grandmother. You leave all of that behind and you cleave to your spouse. You want to go quoting this to your husband? Start with yourself. End tangent. Christ in the Eucharist gives himself over to be consumed by the bride. 
This is one of the ways in which your husband exercises his spiritual headship in your family. This is one of the ways in which your husband exercises the priesthood into which he was baptized. That he gives himself over to his wife and holds nothing back. That he gives himself over to her to be consumed by her. Your husband images Christ when he gives himself to you in the marital embrace. You also exercise the priesthood into which you were baptized by giving everything in the marital embrace. And you image Christ's bride by receiving your husband just as you receive Christ in the Eucharist. Second tangent, another thing that you should have heard in pre-Cana, if not elsewhere, is that for the sacrament of marriage to be valid, it must be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Faithful and fruitful are proved by time, but free and total, these must be true from the outset or they were never true at all. It does not become free. It does not become total. If it wasn't free and total from the beginning, then it isn't free and total at all, which is why your husband does not actually need to ask your permission anytime that he legitimately needs you. It's polite and gentlemanly of him to consider your feelings. But you gave him rights to your body when you married him. If you did not hear this in Precana, someone needs to be called out. Marriage gives you rights over your spouse's body. Not to abuse, not to abuse, but to have and to know in order to meet legitimate needs. Yes, absolutely. He does not need your permission to have his legitimate needs met. And you do not have permission to deny him those legitimate needs. You gave him your entire self from the get-go or you gave nothing at all, free and total from the beginning or it's not either, at all. Finally, the Eucharist is that to which we refer in the Our Father as our daily bread. Oh my gosh, ladies. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1324, reads, quote, The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the Apostolate, are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. End quote. The sacrament of your marriage is bound up with the Eucharist and oriented toward it through the Eucharistic nature of the marital embrace. And where the Eucharist is the source and summit of Christian life, the marital embrace holds a similar primacy in married life as a source of grace for spouses. We suffer objectively when we are away from the Eucharist for a prolonged period of time. A marriage suffers objectively when spouses do not engage in the marital embrace for a prolonged period of time. We benefit objectively from frequent reception of the Eucharist, 
marriages benefit objectively from frequent engagement and the marital embrace. This is your daily bread in your domestic church. Kastiko Nubi in paragraph 59, again, the translation of Kastiko Nubi is on chaste marriage. On chaste marriage, ladies. Paragraph 59 reads in part, quote, For in matrimony as well as in the use of the matrimonial rites, there are also secondary ends, such as mutual aid, the cultivating of mutual love, and the quieting of concupiscence which husband and wife are not forbidden to consider so long as they are subordinated to the primary end and so long as the intrinsic nature of the act is preserved, end quote. The primary end, of course, being procreation. When we receive the Eucharist, we are begging Christ to take us and order us towards him, to order every aspect of our being towards him. When we engage in the marital embrace, when we receive our spouse, we are begging God to take us and order our love, to order our marriage towards him. In the call to be faithful, we are given to each other to help each other remain faithful. Would you expect any average person to find it easy to remain Catholic? If placed for an extended period of time in a situation where the Eucharist was completely unavailable to them? No. So the wife who makes herself unavailable to her husband without grave reason expects too much if she expects a flawless fidelity from him in spite of her selfishness. Ladies, the, the title of this series is Healthy Holy Beauty. And honestly, the most beautiful thing to a husband is a wife who receives him as Christ receives him. What is our hope for a man who enters a church? Our hope is that he feels welcomed, calmed, accepted. Our hope is that he feels also inspired and challenged. Our hope is that he can bring all his faults to the confessional and receive full forgiveness. Our hope is that even with his flaws, he can approach our Lord in the tabernacle and fall to his knees and receive all of Christ, given ungrudgingly, given in full, given in the hope of bringing him closer to his God, to literally become one with his creator and to be carried into heaven. The man hopes for those same things when he enters his domestic church. He hopes to feel welcomed, calmed, accepted, if he is provided with, the, with these things, his heart remains soft, fertile ground for seeds of inspiration and challenge to come to him from his wife and his family. The man hopes that his wife can forgive all of his many faults. And the man hopes to become one flesh with his wife through the marital embrace, which is the Eucharist of his domestic church. The woman who can give this to him she is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. She is holy and she is beautiful. Final notes. Uh, going back to modesty and dress. Ladies, the, the modesty movement, if I may call it that, has been going on for far too long for there to still be objections utilizing the word frumpiness 
as an argument. There have been pre-teen fashion shows for a quarter of a century now, at least. Which means that dressing modestly with class and elegance has been on the minds of adult Catholic women for much longer. Moreover, it has never been easier to shop secondhand online for crying out loud. I really do not believe that in a first world country there is any possible excuse for the lower middle class and up to dress poorly. Furthermore, there are tons of online support groups out there for dressing modestly where women share their best tips for all seasons of life, my favorite being the breastfeeding seasons. Heck, Colleen Hammond, the author of Dressing with Dignity, a professional stylist, ladies, who is also Catholic, has her own Facebook support group. And admittedly, it gets annoying when women who haven't read her book join and start arguing against the solid principles set out in her book. But hey, it's there, you report it to the admins, they nip it in the bud. The point is, ladies, she's a professional stylist, a Catholic. And she wrote the book, which is best known for setting the standards for modesty in Orthodox Catholic circles. It's a great group to lurk in and get ideas from at the very least. Please consider the work of charity which you do for other women by not deliberately presenting an occasion of sin for their husbands. Yes, even if you're all covered up properly, some men will make their minds work hard, but at that point, the sin is all on their paper. I encourage you to make an effort to dress with class and elegance outside of the house in ways which will not present obvious occasions of sin to men. Now, some women, however, find that their husbands are not particularly pleased when they attempt to dress more modestly, and I think that this happens when she dresses the same way both inside and outside the home. If your husband likes you in jeans, this is something I have heard, throw the jeans on half an hour before you expect him to come home and run to the door and greet him. When at home, and especially when expecting to be alone with your husband, is a fantastic time to dress in ways which please him and which invite him to enjoy the spectacle of his beloved wife. If he were to push back and say something like, well, I like you in jeans, then give him a big kiss and say, that's why I'm saving all my jeans for you. Just for you, because I know you like them. The other thing that I would highly recommend is being open to receiving mentorship from women who have been married for 30 plus years, whose marriages are still very much on fire. The source that I recommend especially for this is an Instagram account, the handle of which is Don't Become Roommates 1989. Don't Become Roommates 1989. The owner of this account is a lovely Catholic mother of 11 named Carla. She is fantastic. Follow her for tips. Don't Become Roommates 1989 is her Instagram handle, and she has been my number one marriage mentor over the last couple of years. I owe so much of my happiness in my marriage to her wisdom and her example. Ladies, it has been an honor to spend the last year with you. Thank you. Um, announcements. We're going to be stepping away for a little bit. Not saying goodbye, but stepping back. 
our family is growing. My responsibilities as a wife and mother are growing. My family's legitimate needs are growing. And it's time for me to take a step back so that I have the time and the energy that I need to keep striving to walk the talk, right? But it's not goodbye. You know, as my husband and I discern topics that still need to be covered, we'll put out an episode every now and then. One thing that will really help us is if you reach out please, on either Anchor, which is our podcast platform, or our Facebook page, or my private Instagram account, which I limit to female followers, please reach out. Please let us know what's missing, what we haven't covered. We might do an episode for you, or even better, or what we would consider even better, is that we might point you to our mentors, to the many people who have gotten us to where we are, and continue to grace us with their mentorship as we seek to do the Lord's will in our marriage. Stay in touch. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you do get notifications of new episodes as they come up. Don't miss next week's episode, my final end of the month spotlight. Sorry, I just used the word final. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. But final scheduled end of the month uh, spotlight. Don't miss that one. I do promise we're not leaving for good. Thank you again for spending time with us. Go and win. Ladies, in your marriages, go fight the good fight. Go bring glory to God with your victories. Set your kids up for excellent marriages. Help your sisters. Help your sisters in Christ. If we never meet you on this earth, we hope to meet you one day in heaven. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm -hmm.